Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, May 15th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer, and your presence is here this morning. Amen. Amen. So we humans like to gather for events. The World's Fair has been uh, meeting since 1851. Uh, Originally, though, it wasn't called the World's Fair. It was called the Great Exhibition of the Works of Industry of All Nations. But it couldn't fit on the T-shirt, so they... No, that's... uh, It evolved to becoming the World's Fair. It's been held all over the world in wonderful cities like New York, London, Paris, Vienna, Sydney, Barcelona, Shanghai, Osaka, Vancouver, Dublin, you name it. It's now called the Expo, and the next one will be held in 2017 in Astana, Kazakhstan. Anybody planning on going to Kazakhstan? No. Bring back a t-shirt if you do. Uh, The Olympics is another global gathering that's held every four years. Summer and Winter Olympics are separated by two-year intervals. This is in a summer Olympic year. I'm so excited. I love watching all of the different sports. Uh, The games will be held in Rio this year, beginning August 5th and running through the 21st. Now, outside of the Olympics, the sporting event that gathers the next most attention is the FIFA World Cup. This global soccer competition is held every four years. The last one was in Brazil in 2014. 207 nations battle for the right to qualify for 32 spots that are open in the final tournament. And this next World Cup is coming in Russia in 2018. But maybe sports aren't your thing. You like music? We got Lollapalooza for you. This epic music festival will be celebrating its 25th anniversary this August in Chicago, Illinois. They've got pop, hip-hop, EDM, uh, electronic dance music, heavy metal, punk rock, and alternative rock are all the different genres that you can find at this uh, festival. How big is Lollapalooza? Well, first of all, you would get lost. You see that picture? It's amazing how many people come there. Uh, But over 170 bands will be there over this four-day festival on multiple stages. It's impossible to hear all the music. You've got to pick and choose for the bands that you're interested in, but it's epic. The San Diego Comic-Con meets annually. It draws over 130,000 fans, and it's not just for those who read and collect comic books. Comic-Con is a convention for folks who want to appreciate the role that comics and related art forms have in popular culture. One of the draws of this four-day event is the opportunity for fans to dress up like their famous uh, favorite comic book characters, which kind of ties into the next gathering, D23 Expo. This is for Disney fans worldwide. D23 is the official Disney fan club. Its gathering is every two years. The name is derived from D for Disney, of course. 23 is the year that Walt Disney founded the company in 1923. It's the youngest of the gatherings that I've shared with you today. It started only uh, back in 2009. Well, to all of these August gatherings, I'd like to put one more on your collective radar. And that is the General Conference of the United Methodist Church. 
Some of you are looking like you have no idea what this is. Well, congratulations. I'm going to tell you all about it today. Uh, General Conference, as we call it, it meets every four years. And in fact, it's meeting right now as we speak in Portland, Oregon. It began on, on May 10th, and it runs through the 20th. General Conference is the only entity that speaks for the entire denomination. So that means no one pastor, church, annual conference, or bishop can say, well, the United Methodist Church says this, that. No, no, no. Only general conference can give the official stance for our denomination. This year's, or, uh, this, yeah, this year's annual conference or general conference theme is Therefore Go. It connects Jesus' command from Matthew 28, calling us to go into all the world and make disciples in Jesus' name. 864 people, uh, delegates, elected both clergy and laity from across the world are gathering to set policy and direction for our church, as well as to handle very important issues. United Methodist, uh, Methodist leaders from the United States, Africa, the Philippines, Europe, and Asia have gathered together for these two weeks in what we call holy conferencing. By the way, six from our annual conference, three clergy and three laity from Southern California, Hawaii, Guam, and Saipan are part of that 864 delegation. So in light of this momentous occasion in the life of the church, I'm preaching a two-week sermon series called The Road Ahead. And we're beginning this week by looking back, looking back at how Methodism came to be and what is it about us Methodists that makes us unique. And then we'll finish next week by looking ahead, looking ahead to where we're going, both as a denomination, but also as this church, as the people of Palmdale United Methodist Church. And in both weeks, I'll share with you some of the happenings and goings-on of General Conference. Sound like a plan? All right. Well, even if it doesn't, that's where we're headed, so (laughs) bear with me. Methodism started with two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. Born in England in the early 1700s, both young men eventually became ordained ministers within the established church, the the Church of England. The Wesley brothers came from a long line of preachers. Their grandfather and great-grandfather were ordained ministers, and even their father was a priest in the Church of England, though not a real popular one. In fact, when John was just five years old, before Charles was even born, some of the church members of Epworth, uh, Epworth Church were so disgruntled with John's dad as their pastor, they burned his house down. These are his own church members. You know things are bad when your church... And it wasn't like his personal house. It was the church parsonage. So they're burning the own property. Luckily, John was pulled out of a fiery window by his mother, Susanna. And that rescue from from out of the fire became for him a metaphor for his faith journey. In 1728, as Charles was finishing up his studies at Oxford University, he and some of his classmates decided to get a small group together, and they asked his big brother John to lead them. They wanted to have this group that would focus on living out their faith in ways that they didn't see their local churches doing. They went back to what the early church was doing in the book of Acts, Meeting for prayer and Bible study, for singing and Holy Communion. They fasted. They reached out to the poor and the needy in the community. They, they made a difference in the lives of those around them. They tried to live out the faith that they saw from their ancestors. Over time, others at Oxford started to notice 
this group of college students. They started to tease them, and they came up with all kinds of nicknames of derision. The Bible Moths, the Holy Club, worst of all, the Methodists. Yeah, because they had a method for living out their faith. They were very structured, and they wanted to make sure that they, they did all the things that, that made up being a, a person that was excited about their faith. Well, uh, despite all of the activity and, and the, 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 the nicknames that they were given, this early group decided to roll with it. And they embraced that nickname as the Methodist, and they made it their own. Uh, this movement started from college students. And, and, and they didn't start to create a whole new church. John said, you know, you, we need to go back and worship on Sunday morning at the Church of England, at, at our, each local churches. We're going to be light and, and salt and yeast. We're going to help make a difference from the inside out in the churches that we are attending. Well, one of the things that John and Charles decided to do after this was to go as missionaries to Georgia. To, to sail over to the New World and to, into America and try to make a difference uh, to the colonists there, to the, the Native Americans that were there. And after John returned uh, from two years of being over there, uh, he had a life-changing, a faith-changing experience back in, in England. And despite all of the activity and the methods he'd been pursuing... It's interesting, as an ordained minister, John felt like God still demanded more. Like, that God wasn't pleased with him. That he, God expected him to do more, and he couldn't experience God's love and grace in his life until he did this. It just sort of haunted him and drove him. But then one day, uh, while visiting a group of Methodists meeting at Aldersgate Street in London, God changed John Wesley's heart. He would later say that it felt like my heart was strangely warmed. And for the first time, what he knew up here about God's love and grace and acceptance, he actually believed in his heart for the first time. That it wasn't what I do, that God wasn't demanding that I do more things. God loved me for who he was and who I am. And out of that love, then I can do all these amazing things for the Lord. And that made all the difference. And from that moment, things started taking off. Soon Wesley began to preach all over England, Scotland, and Wales. He would go wherever people would listen, which often meant um, outside of traditional churches. And people started coming out by droves. This was brand new, right? His very first outdoor preaching event, uh, 3,000 people gathered, kind of like the early, that first Pentecost from, the, from Acts chapter 2. And then before long, anywhere between 1,000 and 7,000 people would come to hear him at a time. After a couple of months... Uh, In his first month alone, he preached to 47,000 people in just one month. By the second month, anywhere from 10 to 12,000 were coming. By the end of the year, uh, uh, 12 to 20,000 people were gathering at a time. This was before social media, before, you know, uh, really good sound systems. It was an amazing movement of the Holy Spirit that had caught John Wesley on fire. Thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus and started following God. But he didn't want to simply just come into town, do his thing, and leave. He wanted to help people be able to have a a long-term relationship with God. So he started to organize the people who came into geographic groups known as societies. Societies would meet weekly for fellowship, preaching, prayer, and singing. And again, not on Sunday morning. That's when you should go to the Church of England. But come to your Methodist society in the middle of the week. And people would testify to how God had saved them from 
from a life of alcohol or family violence, prostitution, crime, desperation, how they had lifted them to new life and hope and joy. And then over time, John Wesley noticed that, you know, these are great, but we need even smaller groups to start gathering and more intimate places where spiritual support and nurture could happen. So he started the, the class meetings, gatherings of about a dozen or so people from those societies, small groups that would meet weekly with a leader for spiritual conversation and guidance. Members spoke about their temptations, and they confessed their faults. They shared their concerns. They testified to what God was doing in their lives, and they offered to pray for one another. Methodist class meetings were designed to be centers of Christian love, and every Methodist was required to be a part of one. It wasn't enough to go to the, to the society meeting. You had to be a part of, the, of these small group classes because, really, this is where Methodism flourished. So thousands would come to hear John Wesley preach. He would then direct them to the closest Methodist society. And before long, they would be put into a a class meeting. And here is where their lives would be transformed. It was making a difference not only in their lives, but in the lives of of the communities all around them. They were reaching out to to love and concern for the poor and the sick and the prisoner. and, And anyone that was in need, Methodists reached out to help. As Methodism grew, John Wesley adopted lay preachers and helpers as assistants who then moved among the societies around England. Many women became class meeting leaders. This at a time when there was very little, if any, role of women to have in leadership. John even appointed a couple uh, uh, female local preachers, which was unheard of. In fact, just to give you a sense of of how uh, ahead of the curve he was, Twelve years after John Wesley died, in the year 1803, the Methodists in England said, you know, we're not so sure about this women preacher thing, and they rescinded all the rights of any of the women that had been preachers up until that point. They said there were two reasons. One, the vast majority of Methodists were uncomfortable with women being preachers, and two, there were sufficient men to supply all of the preaching needs. So they just couldn't get where Wesley was. He was ahead of his time in in how God has called all people or or gifted many different types of people to serve and to preach. Well, as Methodism developed, John and Charles Wesley wanted to keep things simple. So their message was this, love God and love your neighbor. Actually, that was Jesus' message, but they just jumped on it. Love God and love your neighbor. He didn't, Wesley didn't want things to become complicated But he wanted to make sure that what they were doing as a church, as a movement, really made a difference. That you could see the the fruit in their lives. So he put together three general rules. This is what all Methodists were supposed to do. Number one, avoid evil. Do no harm. Stay out of trouble. Two, do good. As often as you can, in many ways as you can. And three, stay in love with God. Now this third point... His words were, pursue the means of grace. But really that means stay in love with God. Go to church, worship, sing, pray, read your Bible, share communion, be generous with your resources. All the things that show, that, that, that help you live out what it means to stay in love with God. And so Methodists wholeheartedly practiced avoiding evil and doing good and staying in love with God. They did amazing things as a movement. And then... Methodism jumped across the pond to America. 
and began to flourish as our country was just getting started. In fact, I'd like to show you a a two-minute segment from a youth curriculum called Reform. We use this with our confirmation students. And uh, it's geared for youth, so it has its own unique storytelling style and flavor. Uh, And this is just a a short segment from the end of the 12-minute section on how the Methodist Church started. And they make the point is that the Methodist Church was started by a group of radical teenagers. Let's watch. With his faith restored, John Wesley continued his mission to bring about a Methodist revival in the Anglican Church all across Great Britain. It says here your heart was strangely warm. Oh, wait, is this referring to that glowing anomaly that's been on your lapel for these 40 years hence? Uh, Yes, it was like that first fire, Charles Wesley, at Daddy's Parsonage, remember? Uh, I wasn't born yet, Jack. Irrelevant. The point is, the Lord rescued me from one fire to found another. Personal salvation is ours through faith. God's grace is free in all and free for all. Let's go back to America. I'm ready now. Impossible. After the Revolution, the Church of England is barred from what they're calling the United States of America. Well, that's a mouthful. Well, if we can't send them Anglicans, we shall send them Methodists. I beg your pardon? If we can't send them Anglicans, Charles Wesley will send them Methodists. Who's going to ordain these Methodists? I am. Oh, John. Don't oh, John me. God's grace is nothing if it doesn't show itself in your actions and your attitude. Even though John technically didn't have the authority to do so, he ordained three Methodist preachers and sent them to America to begin the Methodist Church. We'll be on fire with our enthusiasm for the Lord, and the faithful will come for miles to watch us burn. And all because my schoolmates and I thought our fellow Christians were pretty lame. (laughs) Who are you again? I'm Charles Wesley. So, a group of teenagers really did start the Methodist... (gasps) Look out! Though the Wesley brothers never left the Anglican Church, they supported the new Methodist Church in America, which continued to grow and thrive. Today, Methodists number 70 million people in almost every part of the world. But... And so for this past week and the one ahead, leaders within the United Methodist Movement are at General Conference in Portland, Oregon. It all kicked off on May 10th with the president of the Council of Bishops, uh, Warner H. Brown, leading the delegates in opening worship. Bishop Brown challenged participants to strive for things that bring peace as well as the things that build each other up. Now... In many ways, it's kind of like the government and Congress and having to, uh, to, to pass legislation. And there's all kinds of opportunities to get upset and frustrated with others. Bishop, Bishop Brown and many others are saying, let's, let's do what builds us up together as a church. So what will our leaders be doing uh, during General Conference? Well, they'll start with worship every day. And amongst the other tasks at hand, they'll revive, uh, revise the United Methodist Book of Discipline. The Book of Discipline is our denominational guidelines that regulate how our local churches and our annual conferences and our general agencies are organized. The Book of Discipline also includes policies regarding church membership, ordination, administration, property, and judicial procedures. And they'll revise our Book of Resolutions. Now, the Book of Resolutions carries the official church stance on a variety of social issues, social justice issues. 
The statements in the book are considered instructive and persuasive, but are not binding on its members, which means if the church has an official stance on something that you disagree with, you don't have to leave the church. You don't have to get upset. We, we, uh, we all, one of the things that, method, that John Wesley said, and the essentials, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the Bible will have unity, but in everything else, will we'll allow for, for, um, uh, for variety. That we, we can have differences of opinion and still worship together as long as everything is done in a spirit of love. In a spirit of love. In addition, the General Conference approves and plans, uh, approves the plans and the budgets for our churchwide programs for the next four years. So next Sunday, I'll let you know what it is that we've decided that we're going to be doing as a denomination uh, down the road. Now, if you're interested in following along, you can go to the church website, umc.org. There's all kinds of wonderful articles on our denominational website. You can read summaries of what's taken place. You can get Twitter feeds of live updates on what's happening. You can even watch the opening worship services or follow the legislative sessions in the afternoon. But I'd like us to finish with the covenant prayer. You've already heard this song. We, we sang it together with the praise band. John Wesley uh, used this throughout his years with Methodists from England and in America, especially on New Year's Day. It was often part of getting the new year started by refocusing on what God wants for us and how we may not know where the future is heading, but if we put ourselves at God's disposal, amazing things can happen. Last year, at the beginning of Lent, the, the six weeks of getting ready for Easter, um, I invited my congregation in Hawaii to pray this prayer. And uh, it was during every day to be praying that prayer. And it was during that time that I found out that I would be moving here. You never know where God might lead. Hear these words again. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And let the covenant which I have made on earth be ratified in heaven. Amen. As we face the road ahead, we have a lot to learn from our Methodist forebears, like encouraging the imaginations and passions and faith of our youth and our young adults. Our entire denomination was started from a young people's movement and reminding us the three general rules, right? Do good, avoid evil, stay in love with God calling us to be a part of a small group, whether it's Bible study or a huddle group or a men's or women's fellowship, so that we can meet throughout the week to encourage one another and pray for one another, to know and be known by one another. And then opening our eyes to the world around us. There are people in need all throughout our communities. We as United Methodists follow Jesus' call to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Thanks be to God for the past of our church and we look forward to where God is leading us in the future. And let us remember to pray for those at General Conference this week. Amen. Amen.